Let's pray. Holy and almighty God, we thank you for the salvation we have in Christ Jesus. As we come to your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our heart that we may know Jesus evermore as Lord and Savior in his love, his grace, and his mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those who are just joining us, we've been doing a series, The Parables of Jesus. And last week, we had the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the context, the setup, if you will, to that parable was that a lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what, it, what is written? What does the law of Moses say? And the, the lawyer answered correctly. He said, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do that and you will live. Do you remember that if you are here last week? Just getting the brain going here. And what we said is that that's really easy to understand, but it is impossible to do. So then Jesus shows and tells this story of the Good Samaritan. Because the story of the Good Samaritan really shows who God is and how great his mercy is. In the Good Samaritan parable, we see that God himself is the standard by which love, grace, and mercy and compassion are to be measured. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan. The reason I'm reminding you of that is because today there are many parallels with this account, with this parable. And in fact, we need to actually cover a little bit of the context, the setup, if you will, for the parable of the laborers in the vineyard for you to understand the depth and breadth, but also to see the parallels from last week. It actually starts in Matthew chapter 19. And I've got more I'm going to read. I've got some on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 19, starting with verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. Doesn't that sound familiar? Very similar to last week. And then going on, it says, he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. It's very similar to last week, isn't it? Very similar. I mean, the lawyer last week asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Here, this rich young man says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? In essence, he's saying, what do I need to do 
to earn my way to heaven? And this is always the question of the unsaved. What must do I do to earn my way to heaven? But, I mean, think about it. This man said that he had kept all those commandments, right? That he didn't steal, didn't commit adultery, all of those things. Even if we give him the benefit of the doubt, and it's a big benefit of the doubt. Jesus says, well, there's one more thing. And he really gets to the heart of this rich man. He says this, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. See, what Jesus points out here is that this rich man covets earthly things. And to covet earthly things more than God is not only to break the last two commandments, it is to break the first. You shall have no other gods before me. So Jesus shows that even if, even if he had really kept those other commandments, he wasn't keeping them all. He was not perfect. You see, the standard of good is not how good you are, but how good God is. That's the standard that he's pointing out. The standard is not how good you are. The standard is how good God is. That's why Jesus asked me, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. So Jesus tells the the man, hey, well, okay, he didn't say hey. That was my uh, version of it. Slip there, right? The vernacular. But if you really want to be perfect, sell everything you have and then follow me. And that man was crestfallen because he really coveted all of those things. It says this, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, you have to understand that during that time, they believed that if somebody was rich, it is because God had greatly favored them. So they were already in the good graces of God. And so this rich young man was already in the good graces of God. And by the way, we have that same mentality today. That if you're really in with God, you will be blessed with earthly riches. That's still prevalent today. But Jesus turns that on its head. He says, this is not true. And he gives this hyperbolic statement, like over the, that means over the top statement, right? About a camel passing through the eye of a needle. Look, the older I get, the harder it is to even get a little thread through the needle, right? Right? Do you ever play trombone? Like that, right? 
But now for a rich person, to, it's like a camel going through the eye of the needle, like a thick rope going through the eye of the needle. That's how hard it is, practically impossible. So the question, the question that the disciples had, if this guy's so good, he's rich, he must be blessed by God, look at all the commandments. The question is, who, who could be saved? Really, who could be saved? Who could ever have eternal life? Who could ever enter into the kingdom of God? This is really just like the parable, the setup from last week. And Jesus says, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. In other words, as one commentator put it, the poor and humble will be exalted in the age to come, while many of the world's rich and powerful will be brought low. This is the depth you have to have before you get to the parable, because without that, the parable doesn't make as much sense. And I know there's a chapter break, chapter 19 and 20. There shouldn't be a chapter break here. It's actually just one account, okay? So the, the parable is actually Jesus explaining further what he means. And he says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. By the way, there are a number of parables that Jesus begins with. The kingdom of heaven is like this. There's the parable of the weeds, the weeds and the wheat, the mustard seed, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, and so forth. So all of these parables use earthly images to point to the divine. He makes it simple, something we can relate to, but yet still pointing to the divine. So in this case, I'm really thankful. He starts out pretty simply. The master of the house. You could actually say the Lord of the house. Well, who's the Lord? God himself, right? It is God who is the master of the house he is the owner of the vineyard, and he owns everything. So he is sovereign over everything. And notice this. It is God who goes out to seek the laborers. A lot of people think that God the Father just kind of sits on his throne waiting for you to knock on the door of heaven. But that's not the case, is it? We did the parable of the lost sheep. You remember the videos I showed? Right? I, 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 actually, I saw another picture recently. Sheep with just a bucket on its head. And I thought, well, that's me. God goes out and he searches. He seeks. He calls you by name. So even though he is sovereign over everything, it is God who goes out and seeks you, who calls you by name. That's the first thing to get even in the very beginning of this parable. And he seeks you because he desires his house to be full. He truly does. Let's go with the parable here. Verse 2. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, 
He sent them into his vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So you should know, during this time in the first century, in that particular region, is very common for a master of a house to go out at the very beginning of the day to get day laborers. And by the way, these really were day laborers. They were not rich. They were working hand-to-mouth kind of existence. One commentator put it like this. Uh, He said, as a result of heavy taxation, high debt and scarce resources, peasants in Jesus' day were forced to hire themselves out on a daily basis. Only the truly fortunate had more permanent means of employment. So by the master of the house looking for day laborers, there's a subtle implication here that he's not looking for the rich and powerful. He's looking for those that many people would overlook. So you should also know that he seeks them throughout the day. Again, this would be different because normally the master of the house would go out at the very beginning of the day, and that would be it. He would just get the laborers he needed. And uh, if you're not aware... During that time, the beginning of the day was 6 a.m., okay? So the third hour was 9 a.m., the sixth hour was 12, the ninth hour was then 3 p.m., and by just, just tuck that away when we get to Good Friday, the ninth hour, and then the eleventh hour would be 5 p.m. So, uh, by the way... <laughs> I would never make it as a day laborer. You know that I'm not a morning person. I'd be like three quarters of a day laborer. But he goes out at the 11th hour. At the 11th hour, it says this. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing and said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, "Go, you go into the vineyard too. You see, the Lord is seeking to fill his house to the very last hour. You could take this one of two ways. You could take it to the very last moment of your life, or you could say to the very end of the age. So that's what we're talking about here. The Lord seeks to have those enter into the kingdom of God even to the very last hour. We find this message again and again. And there's an urgency that God has in filling his house. Jesus gave a number of parables, one of which is the great banquet. This is found in Luke chapter 14. I would encourage you to look at that. The the master has invited people. They've given excuses. They're not showing up. So he says this. He says, go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. God seeks, he goes out, he desires his house to be filled. 
Now, we're going to come to kind of the nitty-gritty of the whole parable here. I'm going to read verse 8 through 12. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. All right. So if it was me, and I was one of the first workers, I would certainly expect not only a full day's wage, I would expect to be paid first. I mean, that's only fair, right? I would be there. And if you're going to give somebody who came at the 11th hour the same that you gave me, why aren't you giving me more? That's only fair. You see, the heart of this story is about what we considered fair versus what God considers just. You know, it's, this is hard because it's so far removed that we think of this as a history lesson, right? You know, we sit there and we kind of go, yeah, that makes sense, okay. But really, the listeners would have had a much stronger reaction to what Jesus was saying in the parable. They would have really understood it. I mean, when our sense of fair isn't the way we think about it, we bristle at that. We get upset. As a matter of fact, I found a picture that I thought encapsulated it. It's not fair. Right? So let me give you an example that you might relate to a little bit better. Let's say um, it's been a really, really long day. And you have to go to the grocery store. You don't want to go to the grocery store, but you need groceries for dinner tonight. As a matter of fact, you got to do grocery shopping for a little bit more because you're out of a number of things. So you trudge all the way through the store. You fill up the basket. It's very full. You're kind of grumpy by this point. You're standing there in line, and somebody with only 10 items says, I'm going to cut in. That's not fair, right? You bristle at that. You kind of go, that, that. And you might even say, hey, get to the back of the line, right? Now, I know it's polite here, but in your minds, you'd be, okay, well, even if you can't relate to that, have you ever been in a traffic jam and somebody pulls up on the side of the road and wants to cut in? That's the beginning of road rage, isn't it? Because it is not fair. We want to take a look at what's fair, and these workers had indignation, anger, anger at what was going on. And by the way, if you and I were masters of the house, really, if we were masters of the house, we would not be like the master of the vineyard. 
we would have the people who work first get paid first. And the people who worked last paid last and paid less. That's what we would do. But we get a little clue into the master of the household that he is different because when he went out, he said, you two go in the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So he himself is determining what is right. It is God and God alone who determines what is right, what is given in generosity. Verse 13. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or you, do you begrudge my generosity? You see, any reward, any reward from God comes from his generosity. You do not deserve any reward. Nor can you earn his reward. No one can earn his generosity. This is a hard lesson because it really just gets at the core of us. Let me give you a, an example, okay? There was a, a very dedicated, hardworking church member who once had a dream that after a very long, satisfying life, he died and then he went to heaven. But at the gate of heaven, he saw this. Entrance requirement, 1,000 points. He was kind of worried about that, you know? 1,000 points. So he, uh, he walked up to this angel who was guarding the gate. And he said, that, that seems kind of high. Do you, think I, I, do you think I've accumulated that many points? And the angel smiled and said, well, tell me what you have done and let's find out. Okay. The man said, thought about it for a moment. He said, enthusiastically, I've been a baptized believer for 32 years. I taught Sunday school class for over 12 years. I was a youth chaperone whenever they needed me. And I was a regular member in the church choir. Well, that's wonderful, said the angel. Let me see. Now, that's worth... That's worth one point. In the dream, the man became a little pale, you know, and he began to sweat and he went on. He said, well, I've tithed on all of my income. Sometimes I even gave more. I also served as an elder in the church. I served on the finance committee and the building committee. I attended every day of cleanup that we had for church cleanup. I mowed the grass. I did repairs and painting. At every fellowship supper, I helped set up the chairs and tables. Then I stayed late and helped to take them down. He looked at the, the angel. And the angel smiled and said, well, let me see. Yeah, that, that sounds great. That's worth another point. You have two now. The man looked like he was going to go in shock. 
I mean, he was desperate now. He said, well, I invited a lot of people to church and often went calling with the preacher. I won quite a few for Christ. I I supported the camp programs. And while while I, I was a forwarding agent for a missionary family, oh, and I never cheated on my taxes. Daniel said, well, that, that's very good. That's very good. Let me see. That's worth another point. You have three. And, and the man just, he, he sagged. I, he didn't know what to do. He was resigned. He said, I, I, I give up. I mean, there's no way I'm going to have enough points to get into heaven. I mean, it's only going to be by the grace of God. And the angel said, the grace of God? I think you're at the wrong gate. You see, you're, at, you're standing at the gate of law. By the gate of law, you have to be perfect and have a perfect score of 1,000 points. Many, many have tried, multitudes have tried, and no one has ever entered in this gate. I think you want the other gate over there where all the other people are lined up. That's called the gate of of grace. The gate of grace. It is all a gift of God through Jesus. You see, somebody who has been a Christian all their lives, has even been a missionary, has taught Bible study, has done all of these good works, is no better than somebody who's been a reprobate, a murderer, an adulterer, a thief, a covetous person who is saved at the 11th hour. There is no difference. There is no difference between me as a pastor and somebody who is saved at the 11th hour. It's all done by the grace of God. That's it. There is no other answer. Now listen to what Paul wrote. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the answer to the disciples' questions, who then can be saved? Anyone who is saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. People so much want to enter heaven by what they think is fair, by their own standard. But there's only one standard, and it's the standard of God, who thankfully is full of grace and mercy. He abounds in it. That's what he told Moses. In Moses, he said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. It's the same message that Jesus gives. It's the same message that the apostles and the disciples wrote about. It is the message that is on the gate of grace. By the grace of God, through, the faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, you may enter in.
This is the parable of the labors in the vineyard. Amen. Amen.